This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Kiana Cardwell speaks with Gilles Mizrobian, Professor of Leadership at Bard College and Principal of the Red Queen Group. Gilles, thanks so much for joining um, and thanks everyone for listening. My name is Kiana Cardwell. Um, I am currently a workforce development specialist as well as an impact consultant working with businesses to build inclusive communities. Um, so thank you so much again, Jill, for joining today. Um, and just to get us started, can you kind of set the stage for us in terms of your past work? So describing your um, previous role in activism, in AIDS activism, um, and the perception of that work at the time. Well, thank you so much, Kiana, for um, including me in this. I'm really thrilled to participate. Um, like yourself, I'm working in the sustainability field. I, I am on the faculty of Bard College's MBA in Sustainability, where you are a student. So I'm really thrilled to be participating in this. So as we've talked before, uh, my area of interest is development, leadership development and community engagement and um, nonprofit and philanthropic management. And uh, that aligns with the work that I do as a consultant, but it also aligns with the work that I'm doing at Bard as uh, a teacher there. Um, so I started uh, working in nonprofit management in the um, early 1990s during the AIDS epidemic. I was doing uh, work for various organizations, and then I was given the opportunity to uh, start and lead an organization that was focusing on patient advocacy, on helping patients, um, AIDS patients in the hospital, people living with AIDS, um, helping um, identify caregivers for them, helping them improve health outcome, health uh, outcomes, and that's um, primarily where my nonprofit experience started and my change management experience, and it also sort of set all the gears turning in terms of my understanding of leadership, my understanding of community and systems change, which led me to sustainability. Amazing. And um, in that work, what stakeholders did you work with and um, what was kind of your role in the activism effort? So um, what we were doing, uh, the organization that I, that I helped found, there were two challenges that we were facing with. The first was changing how patients were being treated in the hospitals. There was a lot of fear, which led to patient neglect in the hospitals. Patients died of opportunistic infections, not of AIDS. Neglect or failure to treat those infections led to death. So we were really working, trying to work um, in the hospital, getting caregivers in the hospital to advocate for patients. Usually they were family members. Sometimes they were friends, um, but usually they were family members. The other thing we were trying to change was the public perception. Uh, at that time, Ronald Reagan would even say the word AIDS. So imagine a world today where people were afraid to say the word COVID. It meant that ignorance and fear was really rampant and it contributed to poor medical outcomes. So we were doing a lot of work with um, 
I mean, so many caregivers. We were working with doctors. We were working with lawyers, nurses, health practitioners, social workers. We were working with uh, elected officials. Uh, we were working with all these different communities, the arts community, culture community, business community. We were working with philanthropy. Um, and we were working primarily in the LGBT community because that's, that, that was sort of where the force of change was happening. Um, and I also was working in faith-based communities and, and at that time I got a lot of pushback from people saying like, why are you, you know, why do you want to engage faith-based communities? Um, my, I had a religious family and, and um, I understood that dignity was something that all individuals respected and should have. And so I would on Sunday mornings, I'd go and I'd speak in churches and you'd be surprised at the reception that I got. Often people would come up to me and they would want to volunteer or they hand me a check. And those were often the best advocates and the best volunteers. So we were working with a broad range of stakeholders and not, of, not all of them were sort of the logical stakeholders for uh, an LGBTQ movement. Definitely. And how did you engage those stakeholders with differing opinions and and beliefs, how are you able to um, kind of engage them and, and bring them on to your journey? So it's interesting that the sort of the perception of AIDS activism at the time uh, changed. It went through a real process. In the beginning, AIDS activists were ignored. Um, there was some empathy and sympathy, but certainly the medical community was responding, but there wasn't a lot of widespread support. Um, there was anger and maybe even rage that was rising in the community and really triggered a change in the community. And that really sort of changed the, the narrative. Um, we saw events like the storming of uh, the FDA in Washington by ACT UP, which really brought a lot of public and media attention. So suddenly the media was paying attention, uh, elected officials were starting to pay attention, companies were paying attention, but ultimately, um, it wasn't until a child, Ryan White, went and spoke before Congress that Congress really began to enact legislation. So it says something about the state of activism um, in, in, in any community, but particularly, I think, in the LGBT community. But by the time Ryan White was speaking in Congress um, and Congress enacted legislation to support um, HIV and AIDS, millions of people had already been affected by the epidemic. And what was one of the most kind of pivotal or successful moments that you had kind of doing this work and engaging with this um, population and connecting individuals with caregivers? That's a great question, Kiana. And it sort of takes me to where I am today. It really sort of changed my life. Um, one of the most important moments for me was when I realized the epidemic was changing. Uh, we used a system in the organization by which we tracked units of service. So my staff was tracking units of ser service uh, for each person. And obviously a crisis and a crisis people need a lot of services and um, they were assigned units of service, housing, support services, emergency funds. And while the demand for those services was increasing and we were seeing more and more clients, what I noticed in looking at the data was the number of units of service per person was actually decreasing. So while the numbers were going up, hidden in that data was a shift in the way that people were using our services. And our services were crisis, uh, they were crisis intervention services. So what I began to realize is the nature of the epidemic was actually changing. 
And I started to explore and talk to people. We were in the front lines talking in the hospitals. And I realized that there was a shift going on in terms of the crisis nature of the epidemic. And when I extrapolated the numbers, I predicted that actually we would be out of business uh, within two years because the crisis nature was dropping, although more and more people were being affected by HIV and AIDS and the epidemic, the focus was shifting to present prevention because the epidemic was affecting more people. The crisis nature was changing. And that's when I realized that as an organization, we needed to shift. We needed to change or do something. So I brought that information to the board. It was very difficult to advocate for change when people were very deeply rooted in sort of the emotion of the epidemic that they experienced rather than where the epidemic was at that point. And it was a constantly changing epidemic. It was a lot of research, a lot of data that was coming out, but it's hard to ignore the data. The board allowed me to make some trials and we identified that we had a really great patient advocacy model. We were helping patients navigate the medical crisis and a third of our patients had some form of cancer. So we thought, let's extend this to the oncologists. Let's talk to the people in the in cancer services. And many of our patients were in cancer wards because they were dealing with some form of cancer. And we began doing trials in uh, serving both populations seamlessly with some crossover because uh, some patients with AIDS mm. had cancer. And within nine months, we were a majority cancer organization. We made that change happen really seamlessly. We got pushback in the beginning, but then people started to pay attention. We were ahead of the curve. We made these changes before other people made them because we were sort of at the grassroots level. We were on the front lines. And then what happened is some of the larger organizations started to see that change. They started to talk to us about how, they, how we shifted the perception of our boards, our donors, our funders. And that's how my consulting work in change management started working with some of those organizations. And it led me sort of to the larger dialogue around change management, leadership, community. And of course, that dialogue, um, that systems change is something that is very current and important in um, not only nonprofit management, but in sustainability. So that's sort of that important moment for me in my life. That's, that's amazing, kind of having that um, realization about kind of the usage of the service. And I know a lot of times um, kind of organizations that are trying to do good are having this dilemma of, okay, if we do the best, then potentially we may be out of business. And so um, how to handle that um, is definitely interesting. Um, how did the that work that you did, how has that kind of influenced the work that you do now? You talked about um, kind of systems and working now, of course, with, with nonprofits and with boards. Um, how specifically has the work that you did with the AIDS activism and with kind of changing those stakeholders' minds, how has that influenced your, your approach to um, nonprofit management consulting and, and the work that you do now? Well, on a professional level, it obviously established my career in change management because it was a very important time and we were doing, the community was doing really important things. And, and so we were a little bit ahead of the curve and people needed help then to make that change happen in other organizational settings. So I worked with several large organizations um, in, in the 
uh, HIV and AIDS community to help them understand how they could move their board, how they could move their donors, how they could change um, their program model. So that established my uh, career in change management and my consulting. But on a personal level, and I think that that's really important because it brought me to sustainability, is I became really fascinated with the role of leadership in communities and systems models. Because what I saw was a community just sort of respond. And, and we've talked about this in, in PLD, how communities do that. When people are threatened, when one person is threatened, all feel threatened, and resources are heralded. And that's what we saw. We saw millions of dollars, billions of dollars raised. We saw huge organizations that were established. We saw really great efforts, enormous efforts that were established to do this work. And I became really fascinated by the way a community responds to a crisis. And I was particularly interested in the LGBT community, because it's my community, and um, the AIDS crisis really uh, solidified the community response. Everybody got behind the effort. They rolled up their sleeves. Leadership emerged, and that was really fascinating to me. I was interested in the science behind community development, behind leadership, and behind sort of an understanding of the LGBTQ um, community itself. That led me to Edward Wilson's um, writings, and I know we've talked about this in class. You, you, you read some of those things, and uh, Wilson is a real advocate um, for sustainability and preserving biological diversity, and that led me to the dialogue around sustainability and the importance of biological diversity and changing systems models. And sort of that professional, that personal um, transition led me to another sort of professional transition. Thanks. And how did you start your own consulting company? How were you able to kind of get things off the ground? What were the kind of challenges when you were starting things up? So there was a couple of phases. Uh, so I went from being an executive director to being an interim executive director. So interim executive directors tend to be change managers. They are temporary hires during a leadership transition or an executive search. And um, most of that work was done through the Support Center for Nonprofit Management. That's where I'm an affiliate consultant, and we have a leadership transition program there um, that trains, recruits, and trains, and then places interim executive directors. So I did three placements as an interim executive director. So I really got the opportunity to sort of apply my change management skills in different settings. And uh, the whole time I was doing some consulting on the side for various organizations and ch change management. But as an interim executive director, I really, really identified how important leadership was to change management, how important it was to facilitating a successful, manage, uh, successful leadership transition. Okay. And what would you say kind of sets the work that you do apart from other management consulting um, groups or, or organizations or individuals? So one of the things that I identified as an interim executive director was that um, in leadership transition, and that's where most of my work is in leadership development, leadership transition, executive search, um, I realized that a lot of time was spent by search consultants focusing on the candidate, finding the right candidate. And very little time was spent on preparing a landscape of success for the incoming candidate. So the analogy that I often give is you go to a plant store because you want to buy a really nice plant for a spot you have in your room, but you don't take into consideration the conditions in the room. So you spend a lot of time and a lot of money on identifying the right plant, and then you bring it home and you wonder why it doesn't thrive, why it fails, 
and ultimately why you know it doesn't work anymore. And so what I do is um, my associates and I, we really spend a lot of time before the search happens, understanding the environment in which the candidate is going to be operating. And so how does that inform the selection process, first of all, and what can happen in that environment? What change can we start that prepares a landscape of success for an incoming candidate? And most searches fail because that landscape doesn't match the skills or um, the priorities of that individual. And so by spending time understanding the environment, helping the board and stakeholders understand what's needed, how that informs the search, we really get everyone ready for making the best possible decision you know, in the life of that board. Um, and so we understand the environment the person's gonna come into, what challenges they might face, and we really prepare the incoming executive director to hit the ground running. So they don't have to go through a lot of the challenges that we see that we can potentially fix before that individual comes in. So it, it, uh, it ensures a more successful search because there are all sorts of things that can happen in the first year that cause a search to fail. And I would say that's a very unique perspective and a very unique approach to leadership transition. It's one that takes more time, it takes more resources, but the outcomes are way, way better. And I can tell you that having done 25 searches in the last 10 years, I think I have a perfect record in the sense that every executive director has stayed at least two years in their job and they found success um, in, in those placements. So thank you for asking that question, Kiana. Thank you, thank you. And um, a couple more questions here. Um, in your work with nonprofit management consulting, what are some of the kind of challenges that you experience that kind of are similar to things that you uh, experienced back in the day that you are able to then kind of relate um, and help to, to solve some of those problems? So I would say that the first challenge is also is always resources, right? Anytime there's a crisis, uh, anytime you're depending on a community response, resources are really critical. So in nonprofit management, we call it fundraising or fund development. So that understanding of creating sustainable organizations that have sustainable revenue models is a critical part of the equation. But I think also the other part of the equation is the community building. And what I've learned from observing communities, and I, um, my family, they were immigrants, so we were part of an immigrant community, is communities have inherent economic models. And when nonprofits have strong community models and they treat um, leadership as a resource for their community and they manage that community model effectively, then inherent in that community model is an economic model. And often organizations don't understand the connection of a strong community to strong revenue and strong sustainability. And I think that's a really important realization that I've seen in my work in the nonprofit community. The two are connected. It's very difficult. You can't detach them. And in sustainability, like we talk about the triple bottom line, right? Um, protecting the environment, protecting the financial bottom line, protecting the social bottom line, right? You can't disconnect those three components in sustainability, just as in a nonprofit, you can't disconnect the mission and how you serve your community from the financial bottom line. Thank you. And last question here, what are um, kind of some ways that kind of you have seen or that you've helped organizations to 
facilitate that effective, sustainable, community-focused leadership? So my uh, work, work, my work primarily focuses on leadership. And at Bard, that's what I teach is leadership. Um, leadership can solve all of our, all of our problems. Uh, but leadership is also a community model. It's a systems model. And so we have to respect that uh, systems model. And my understanding of leadership is different, I think, from other consultants or other people. I think that in order to be successful, leadership has to be embedded into the community uh, in which it's serving. It can't be above the community or separated from the community. Because when it's embedded in the community, leadership understands it. Leadership is permeable to what's happening around it. The way we saw, we were at the front lines in the hospital. We saw the changes that were happening and they affected us. Leadership needs to be part of the community, embedded in the community, permeable to the community. So the changes that occur around them affect them and they in turn have the ability to make changes happen and influence the system. And that's an important, a very different perspective of leadership in the sustainability field, which I think really comes, uh, we've learned a lot from the nonprofit community because that's how nonprofits usually look at leadership as being embedded in their community. So in many ways, the sustainability sort of business models have learned from the nonprofit community about the role of leadership in systems change. Definitely, thank you so much, Jill. That was um, really insightful. Um, getting to learn a bit more about um, the work that you did kind of in the past and again how that has connected to the work that you're doing currently. Um, so thank you so much for um, talking with me a bit today. Um, and now just for our listeners, can you um, share a bit more about how our listeners can learn about your work, where they can follow you. So um, I'm on LinkedIn. You'll find me at Jill Mesrobian at LinkedIn. You'll also find me through my business, Red Queen Group. So you can uh, look for my website or look for me on LinkedIn. You can also find me through uh, some of the organizations that I'm affiliated with. So I'm affiliated off, obviously with Bard College. If you look up Bard College's MBA in sustainability, you'll see me on the faculty list. And I'm also an affiliate consultant for the Support Center for Nonprofit Management. And if you go to their website, you'll find me as well. I hope that's helpful. Kiana, you've asked all the questions. Can I ask you a question now? Of course, of course. So you've been in my class, right? You've also worked with me. You've been one of my associates. You've you know, worked on, you know, on the front lines with one of, some of my clients. Tell me, how has that influenced your work as a consultant and your perspective on this? I think definitely what you said about the, the length of the process and the resources of the process. I think a lot of times when we're working in sustainability, whether that's kind of the environmental, the social, the governance side of it, I think a lot of times there's a process that needs to be done. There's a lot of kind of stepping back that needs to be done to then kind of move forward. Um, and so that's definitely what I've really learned and I've learned to really trust the process. Um, I've learned the value of um, really kind of knowing yourself, whether that's kind of yourself as an organization, kind of before you make kind of those big decisions being kind of taking on a new um, 
employee reorganization, kind of that idea of kind of taking a step back, kind of internally um, analyzing and, and organizing and kind of setting yourself up to then take that new employee on and kind of then shoot forward um, with, with success factors and, and action um, steps from there. So that's definitely something that I've learned um, from working with you, from the um, kind of work that we've done in class, from the, this conversation that we've had, is definitely kind of that. It's trusting that process and really being um, thoughtful about understanding the environment that you're in um, as you're making kind of these decisions and these choices. So thank you. Thank you so much, Kiana. We appreciate our loyal Impact Report listeners and hope you can help us spread the word about the series and the important sustainability work of our guests. Please rate and review the Impact Report wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you were inspired by this conversation, share a screenshot to your Instagram account and tag Impact Report Podcast. You can learn more about Gilles' work by visiting theredqueengroup.com and following him on LinkedIn. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, November 19th. We'll be speaking with Jessica Schreiber and Camille Tagle of FabScrap. Interested in learning how you can launch a high-impact, purpose-driven career in sustainability? Check out the resources page from the Bard Graduate Programs in Sustainability for access to free resources to jumpstart your career in sustainability. Hear from leaders in the fields of climate change, consulting, impact finance, fashion, circular economy, and more about how they launched their careers and the tips they have for you to join their industry. Visit gps.bard.edu resources today.